Good to see everybody. My name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor. If you're a guest, thanks for coming out this morning to Crossroads. I hope you feel welcomed and invited and uh, good to have you. I hope you picked up the theme so far. If you had to guess what the theme of our day was, if you were here for the first song, I'll give you the first song title was Listen to the Music. Mickey, our music director, shared his campfire story. Have we picked up the theme? We're doing music at the end of the service today. What might be the theme? Music. I love it. You all are whippersnappers today. I tell you what, it's going to be a good one. going to be a good one. So the next 30 minutes is me trying to convince you to sing at the end of the service. So we could trim it down to five if you just would raise your hand and say, I promise I'll sing. And then we could get you out of here earlier. It's funny, y'all raise your hand to sing, but when I talk about giving and I go, we could like trim it down to five minutes if y'all promise to give at the end, nobody raises their hand. Like, we'll put up with the 35 minutes. Just don't mess with the wallet. So, so as we jump in here, let me ask you a question, super personal. We're gonna dig right in here. I'm gonna have, ask you to be vulnerable, all right? How many of you'd be honest enough right now in front of God and everyone else to just admit it, that you are a shower singer. How many shower singers do we have in the house? How many of you, look, some of you, took you a second, like, oh, other people are admitting it, I should, it's church, right? Shower singers, are you acapella or do you have like shower radio? Who's acapella? Who just like, you make your own music, you know what I'm talking about? How many, how many have your own shower jams? Like you've got the shower playlist on Spotify right? You know what you should be cleaning depending upon what song is on the playlist. <laughs> we could take this joke down a path that is inappropriate for church, but that's okay. We'll, we'll do it. How many of you are absolutely not shower singers? Raise your hand up nice and high. Just own that. You're like, nope, nope, not a shower singer. That's, that's good. Everybody's welcome here. This is, this is it. One of our values. I love it. The truth is whether we like it or not, right? We've all experienced the power of a song the power of a song. Like, just think about it for a moment. Like, think in your life like a song that has meaning to you. Um, I can remember um, music that through my life, almost like I hear a song and it like brings up an era, right? Especially being a church person, like there's just songs. Um, how many of you have been around church for say 20 years or more? Raise your hand up nice and high. So if you've been around church, how many of y'all ever heard the song Shout to the Lord? right? Like every Sunday, every Sunday, there is a season. Like that'll just bring back an era. There's one song that every now and then Mickey will like mouth the words to called Days of Elijah. I literally just vomit when I hear it now. It just, there's something inside of me. If you know that song, I don't know why, but it just does it to me. But music is powerful. Like if we, if we know the song, it can, it can highlight our day. It can illuminate, it can make us smile. A song can make us cry if it has meaning to a moment in life that maybe is tragic, right? And music plays an important part uh, in our faith tradition, right? In our faith tradition, in our weekly gathering, we have music. And here's what's fascinating about church music, right? Church music, the same song, can feel magnificent to one person. Like one person can come in and that song is up and it's just amazing, it's magnificent, you love it, the, the, the goosebumps happen, you know, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a quote-unquote sacred song, it could just be a song that brings joy to your heart and you hear it and you're in this room and, and people love it. But that same song for another person can feel manipulative. That same song could, could represent a time in their life, a season in their life where that song was used and it was used to create an experience, an emotion, and draw something out of you. 
and it felt manipulative. And then there's some people that it's just completely meaningless to, right? They play that song and it's just meaningless. Like, they hate music. You hate music, right? And it's like, let me know when the music is over and I'll come in, right? And I'm not so foolish to think that there aren't people going, let me know when the message is over and I'll come in, right? We all, we all have our things, right? But it's fascinating to me how music can draw so much emotion. In fact, music is probably one of the major reasons. Uh, there was a, a time period, and it probably still exists, but it's not as much. But the 80s and 90s, like music was the number one reason why churches like split and had massive arguments over what should church be. So church singing, church music can to some feel beautiful and wonderful, and it is a way to connect with the divine, and for others, it's difficult and painful. Yet we gather and we do it every week. And so the question I have today is, what's a healthy way to think about music and singing as it relates to our soul care? Right? Forget about the idea of church, forget about the minute, but what about like my personal care of my soul, my spiritual being? Like that reality that goes beyond you know, the microscopes and, and goes beyond the, the things that I can see or test, but like, what do I do about that? Like, where does music intersect that? And how then do we as a church embrace music, right? How can we gather together as a group and how can we embrace the music, even the songs we don't like, right? And allow it to be a healthy spiritual experience. And that's really what I want to pull out of the campfire story we're going to look at today. And so I want to look for some wisdom in one of these campfire stories, and we're going to talk about a story that we generally don't talk about until around Easter, and that's this, what we call the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And I love this story because it's a powerful story about the historical Jesus and what that Jesus was all about. And this is the story of Jesus kind of coming into Jerusalem, depending upon which gospel you read, it's used differently, it's, it's, it's really changed to suit the author. But we want to look at this in Luke's gospel, Luke's story of Jesus today. And in, in Luke's story of the gospel, this, this particular little pericope, this, this scene, kind of starts the, the beginning of the end. It starts like a new chapter in the gospel of Luke, where Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, and then he's going to spend an extended period of time. Like in the gospel of Mark, Jesus spends about a week in Jerusalem. And this kind of starts that. But in the, in the Gospel of Luke, he seems to spend a long time in Jerusalem teaching. And so he, he starts his, his time in Jerusalem with this scene of riding in on a donkey. And then like what really, what really leads to his arrest in the story of Luke and in Mark, and probably historically, was his, his, his like really kind of going into the temple and causing a major scene, uh, which disrupted the, the money. And, you know, when you start messing with the money, Rome's going to take notice, right? And so th that's kind of what this is all about. And so for Luke, Jesus comes into Jerusalem for this extended period of teaching. And Luke wants everybody to know that Jesus is not coming into Jerusalem as another rabbi, as another teacher, as a philosopher, but he's coming in as a king, He's coming in as an anointed one. He's coming in as one who had the authority and vision of God. And this authority and this vision of God was going to set and bring freedom to people that were oppressed by religion and Rome, this idea of what God wanted to do. And so as Jesus kind of is coming in, he gets his disciples together and he's like, all right, we're going we're gonna to enter the city, but we're going to make it meaningful. We're going to make a statement. And so he calls his disciples and they make this plan. And what he does is he says, okay, we're going to go in there. What I need you to do is go up over there and there's going to be a donkey, a colt tied up that nobody's ever ridden on. I want you to bring that donkey to me. And if the owner of the donkey, the owner of the colt says, hey, what are you doing with that donkey? What are you doing with my colt? Just say, God needs it. 
and they'll give it to you. And that's what happens in this story. Say, the, the Lord is in need of your donkey. That's a whole other message that I'm going to do one of these days. The Lord is in need of your donkey. Untie it and release it. See, y'all are excited. Now you'll invite a friend to that one. You will. I know you will. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what will get you to invite somebody here. Maybe that's it. The Lord needs your donkey, all right? So <laughs> I, now I know why you're laughing. I, I just realized the double word for donkey, and now I know why you're laughing. I, that, wasn't, that wasn't the intent of that joke, all right? So he says, go get the colt and just tell them the Lord needs it. So that's what they do. They go get them. They go get the colt. I don't know if it was a he or she. I shouldn't gender the donkey. I don't know. Go get the colt. And, the, and they say, the owner says, what are you doing? He says, well, the Lord needs it. And he says, okay, great, fine. Just take it. So they take the colt, right? And then what we see is this powerful story of Jesus' anti-imperial agenda, right? It's a demonstration. And if you want to hear all about that, you can go back and listen to the Palm Sunday message from last year or this one because it's the same Palm, Palm Sunday happens every year and it's the same message. Sorry, it's a good break for me, okay? I just preach the same message every Palm Sunday, all right? So here's the deal. But I don't want to focus on what Jesus does today. I want to focus on what the people around Jesus did in this scene, especially in the Gospel of Luke. Because what the people say and what the people do seems to be really important to Luke because Luke changes Mark's story. So Mark is our first gospel. Matthew and Luke both have the gospel of Mark as they're writing their story of Jesus, and they change Mark at times very intentionally. And so I want to look at what Luke does to this story and how it can relate to us as a choral, right? As a group of people that sing and gather and why we do that. So we'll pick up in verse 35, Luke chapter 19. This is what it says. They brought the colt to Jesus and then they threw their cloaks over the colt and they helped Jesus to mount it. I love that Jesus needed help. Even the son of God needs help mounting a wild donkey, right? So, so they help Jesus get on it. And as they ride along, all of the followers of Jesus are spreading their cloaks on the ground. So what's up with all the cloaks, right? That's the, thing, the first question I ask. I'm like, what is going on? Or, well, when, you, when they're spreading out their cloaks and they're putting the cloaks on the donkey, just think of this as like an ancient way of rolling out the red carpet, right? So this deals with like coronation, a king, the best we can do. And so they're rolling out the red carpet for Jesus as he comes down. It says, and now he was approaching the slope of the Mount of Olives and the whole multitude of his disciples, listen to this, began to praise God aloud with joy for all the mighty deeds they had seen. Okay, so you get this scene, Jesus riding a donkey, all the clothes and the followers of Jesus start doing what? They start praising God. It's very important you catch this. They're not praising Jesus. I know that might sound weird to our ears, but they're not praising Jesus. They're praising God. And they're doing it loudly and joyfully. Loudly and joyfully. And in their exuberance, right, people are noticing. People are taking notice. A crowd starts to gather around. Some of the religious leaders hear about this. They come out and they're loudly and joyfully praising God. Now, as they're doing this, they, they, they say, hey, God is at work in Jesus. That's what they're saying. By, by praising God, they're looking and saying, look at this guy, look at all the things that he's done, what we've heard about this Jesus. God is moving. God is at work doing something new in our midst, and they're excited about it. And so they're praising God, making a scene, because they knew somehow in, in their innermost being that God was at work in Jesus. And this is what they said, right? In Luke, they don't say Hosanna. Right? This is crazy talk. You've been here for Palm Sunday. 
you know that we were supposed to wave palm branches and sing Hosanna, but in Luke, they don't say Hosanna, they, which means save us, Lord, save us. They don't say that. This is what they say. They say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, listen to this. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, if you're familiar with the story of Jesus' birth, that should sound a little familiar, right? The angels come and they announce what? Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace where though? On earth, right? Now, what Luke is doing is he's teaching his readers that this Jesus is the one who brings the peace of heaven to earth. And this is a big theme, right? This is part of a bigger theme in the Gospel of Luke. And in the Gospel of Luke, he talks about peace on earth. He talks about the peace of earth. And then he talks about the peace of heaven, right? So in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, right, the angels at the birth of Jesus, they proclaim peace on earth, right? In Luke chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, he tells the disciples, Jesus tells the disciples and says, go and bring your peace to people, right? He says, and if you don't, and if the person is not a person of peace, you do what? You shake the dust off your sandals. One of my favorite statements that Jesus ever says, you just got to shake the dust off your feet with some people, Right? He also says that the peace has this heavenly quality now, that what you're experiencing in Jesus is not just earthly peace. It's not just the peace of man. It's different than the peace that Rome offers. It's different than the peace of religion. It's the peace of heaven. And Luke's going to continue this theme of peace into the very next story. So Jesus rides into Jerusalem, and then it says the very next story is this lament over the city of Jerusalem. And in verse 44 of that same chapter, it says that as Jesus drew near, he saw the city and he wept. And this is what Jesus said. He said, if this day you only knew what makes for peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. If only you knew what real peace was, but it's hidden from your eyes. And what Luke is saying to us what Luke was saying to his original, what Jesus is saying is that this peace of heaven, this one who is the king, who's blessed by God, who brings the fullness of God, the glory of God, the peace of heaven to earth, right? This one is saying, listen, here's the deal. The peace of heaven is hidden by the powers of darkness. That there are powers of darkness. Now, this is a beautiful metaphor. I don't want anybody to get any, any I don't want you to freak out, Okay. But these are, this metaphor of darkness and light is a powerful metaphor that's part of the, the biblical tradition. And it's saying that there are powers of darkness. And do you want to know what I think are the two great powers of darkness in all of human history? No? Yes? You want me to go back to the jokes? I mean, I was hitting kind of like an important part of the message, and I'm not sure if you were with me. So I can, I'm going to bring you back in. Or maybe you were so with me. You were just like, please, more, Ryan. Two. Powers of darkness, I think that are the, if we were to say chief of demons, right? We can use that language, that metaphor. Here's what they are. Fear and greed. See, fear and greed, they blind us from the peace of heaven. Uh, on the two walls are, are the five unacceptables that we as a church are dedicated to participating in eradicating that we're saying the gospel compels us in this season, in this day, in this century to engage and to bring light into darkness. But here's what I know about these five unacceptables, and I don't know a lot about them. I know a little bit about them. But I think at the root, what causes each one of these is a unique expression of either fear or greed. There's a lack of spiritual vitality. It's often because there's fear of God. 
And then you're going to quote to me, but the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. We can talk about that later. Greed sets in. What happens when we have greed? We have human trafficking and we have poverty. We have exclusions of people out of fear, right? These two powers, they are the principalities of darkness, right? And they are the actual hallmark. They're the hallmark things within any unhealthy system in human existence. So whether it's an unhealthy family structure, whether it's an unhealthy work environment, how many of y'all say amen? Not anybody that works here, but maybe you work someplace else. If you're part of an unhealthy religious structure, I guarantee you, you will find greed and fear. Civil society, a structure in and of itself, an unhealthy civil society is grounded in fear and greed. And the path that Jesus offers is a path of peace. We talk about that all the time. And this path of peace, peace saves us from these powers of darkness. It is a salvation. It's, it's where we find our genuine peace. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 says that Jesus is our peace. It's kind of an interesting. The writer of Ephesians chapter 2 is talking about the enmity or the, the tension between Jews and Gentiles, right, which stood in the space of people who think they're close to God and people who think they're far from God. And, and, and the writer of Ephesians says, no, here's the deal. Like, Jesus preached to both those near Jews and to those far Gentiles. Why? Because both have access in one spirit to God. And we might say that another word for that one spirit, that access to God, is the peace of heaven. That Jesus came to say, everyone has access to that. So here's what I don't want us to miss. As we, as we kind of explore and march through and think about singing, praise, right? If we use this word praise as this idea of singing out the goodness of God, talking about the wonderful things in our lives, the good things in our lives, the hope that we have for. This idea of praise is the response to experiencing the peace of heaven that's revealed in Christ Jesus. Like that's what we see in this story in Luke, right? The people are praising God for all the things, the mighty deeds, because Jesus has revealed the peace of heaven, the fullness of heaven, the wholeness that comes. Now, check out how Luke finishes the story. Like, this is what Luke says in verse 40. He finishes the story with this. So, the people are exuberantly praising God. You'd think that would be a wonderful thing for the religious leaders of the day, right? You'd think they'd be super excited about this. People are finally singing. I know I would be. All the non-singers in the room are like, oh, I don't like this message. Can we talk about giving? I'd rather give than sing. Everybody's got their spiritual gift. That's why there's the envelope, you know? <laughs> Luke chapter 40, here's what it says. Some of the Pharisees, right, the religious leaders, the Ryan Howells, the John Smiths of the day, right? No offense, John, it's who we are. We're the Pharisees in the story always, filled with greed and fear. No, I'm just kidding, right? Here's what happens. The Pharisees, they show up in the crowd and they say to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Rebuke them. Now, what is Jesus being asked to do here? They're praising God. What's the problem? No, no, no. That's not the issue. The issue is they're praising God because they think Jesus is the king. And they go, this is going to mess up everything. All the peace that we're experiencing, all of our relationships with Rome, if they keep up this nonsense about a king, we're going to have a problem. And it was this vision that Jesus brought that they wanted him to stop. 
this revelation of what the peace of heaven actually meant and who it actually included and what it actually ended, things like poverty and slavery, all of that. And I love what Jesus says. He says probably one of the dumbest things I've ever heard Jesus say. <laughs> Listen to what he says. It's nonsense. And you, you, just not, you just feel like you're not allowed to say it. This, if Jesus were to come into this room and say this to you right now, you would think it's nonsense. He says, I tell you, if they keep silent, the stones will cry out. That's just the dumbest thing ever. No stone's going to talk. See, it's a beautiful statement. And it's dumb if we want to take it literally. But if we take it for what Jesus is saying about the reality of creation and that it is all filled with the fullness of heaven, that in its very existence, it is crying out. And what Jesus is saying, nothing could ever stop it. Why? Because the rocks received the peace of heaven in their formation, in their creation, in their evolution into existence. The way the Bible talks about this is in John chapter 1, where all of creation was formed through the logos or the, or the word or what we might translate as this phrase, the Christ might help us understand it a little bit better. John chapter 1 says that in the beginning was the Christ, or the Logos. And, and the Christ was with God, and the Christ was God, and the Christ was in the beginning with God. And what does it say? All things, even that rock, came into being through the Christ, through the Logos, through the wisdom of God. And without the Logos, without the Christ, without the wisdom of God, without the fullness of the glory of God, nothing came into being. And that's what Jesus is saying, and that's what the story is saying, is that, that intrinsic to the reality of life, to the, the flesh and blood and the, and the molecules, is the glory of God, is the peace of heaven, if we'll open our eyes and see it. That, yeah, we could, we could quiet them down, but eventually somebody's going to take a look at that rock and see the glory of God, and the cycle will start all over again. We'll think if this rock could have that kind of beauty, and if the rocks that form the mountains could speak of the beauty of God, eventually the message of Jesus would pierce through the darkness. Now, what does this have to do with Monday? What does this have to do with your everyday, normal, peacemaking life? Well, here's what I want to say to you. I want to encourage you, make singing a spiritual practice for you. Now, for those of us in the room that are like, but I don't sing, well, let me say it again. Make singing a spiritual practice for you right? Why? Because singing is powerful. Something intrinsic. Our spiritual ancestors knew this. They knew that singing was powerful. They knew that singing was important, right? Psalm 98 verse 1 says, sing a new song to the Lord. The psalmist writes, a new song. How many of y'all love it when there's a new song in church? <laughs> no, bring back shout to the Lord, right? But here's the thing, we sing everywhere. It's a, it's a phenomenon in, in the world. It is not a Western or Eastern. It's not a rich or a poor thing. It's just we sing. We sing everywhere. We sing in our cars. We sing in our boats. We sing in our trains. We sing everywhere. We sing at concerts. We sing at churches. We sing in mosques. We sing everywhere. And our spiritual ancestors knew through experience that singing was powerful and it must be divine. And so it makes perfect sense to me that our ancestors and our writers of the, of the Psalms and, and even and, and in texts of the New Testament would say, sing out, sing out. And now what's fascinating is we have the science to back it up. 
We have the science to back it up. There's an article that uh, uh, Sarah Spencer wrote, and it says, why singing is just as psychological, or we could say spiritual, as it is physical. And, and in this article, she talks about some things that happen when we sing. She says that singing releases the happiness hormones in our lives, right? Oxytocin and endorphins, that singing releases these. And these in, and endorphins exist inside of us to inhibit our pain signals, right? Our brain. So when you release endorphins, it inhibits the pain signals, and they produce a feeling of euphoria. How many of you are runners in the house? Any runners in the house? How many runners have you ever heard the phrase like a runner's high? I've ran two marathons, never experienced a runner's high. I have no idea what the heck people are talking about when they say that. None whatsoever. Like, oh, you'll get the runner's high. I'm like, at what mile marker? This is insanity. But they say it's there, right? In that moment, your body just dumps endorphins, right? And oxytocin, right, is the hormone that triggers feelings of happiness, right? feelings of happiness, but it's a little bit different of effect. And it's kind of called the love drug because it activates feelings of trust. Trust. Right? It gives us the sensation that we're bonding with someone, that we're bonding with an idea. Right? There's something about that. And it's well recorded now in scientific studies that both these hormones, they surge when we're singing. They surge in us. So here's the thing. The beauty is you don't even have to be considered a good singer to reap these benefits. Just like I'm not a good runner, right? I mean, some might even call me a bad jogger. I mean, it's not, it's somewhere between walking and jogging, you know? 6'2", 190 doesn't run fast, okay? Let's just be honest. But, but it's just like singing. Like you just, you sing and it happens, right? She also writes and says that singing in groups creates community connections, Right? There's an energy in the room. Y'all ever felt an energy at a concert? Like, man, the place is, what's the word? Electric or rockin'. Some of you gave the wrong answer. You said rockin', but that's okay. I was, I was thinking electric, but that's all right. Your answer wasn't wrong. It was just different. It was just different, right? It's, it's electric. It's rocking. There's some energy in the room. When you go to church, there's energy there, right? Now, here's the thing. I want to say this. That energy can be manipulated. There's no doubt about it but it doesn't make the energy wrong. It makes it wrong to manipulate it, right? If any experience we're in, whether it's a concert or a church service, and, and there's a manipulation of the energy for personal gain, for personal benefit, then I would consider that sin. I would consider that harming of the image of God in us. But the energy itself, how we're wired and how we have evolved, and these, this is beautiful. We can connect with what is beautiful. And so that's why concerts can feel like a spiritual experience, right? Because something bigger than the individual is happening in that moment. And there's a vulnerability involved with singing. For those of you that sing like me, you know that. There's a vulnerability to it, lifting our voices. She also writes that singing is a respite from the worries of life. Talks about a break from the cares, right? That singing distracts us. It distracts us from our worries because it focuses us on something else. It takes a lot of mental energy to sing. We have to focus on the words and the melody and all that stuff. And it's really hard to be overwhelmed by all the stresses in life when we just distract ourselves with singing. Anxieties, they melt away. And the world is simply the music, simply the moment, and we play our part. 
We play our part as a narrator, connecting with the lyrics, connecting with the, the feel and the energy. Learning a new song even makes more focus. I have to think more about what I'm doing, which pulls me more out of my normal everyday worries. So think of it like this, all those benefits to singing that science tells us, all of our rich tradition in our spiritual history that says sing to the Lord a new song, right? That, that music fills our hearts, that music soothes our souls. Right now, praise then, let's just define it for today, as singing about God and singing songs to God, right? As a spiritual practice, right? And so Think of praise as a way of engaging with the divine, connecting with the divine, God, universe, whatever words you use. In the Christian tradition, we use the word Jesus, we use the word God. It's connecting with that which is bigger than us, which produces life in this world and hope and joy and peace. And we connect with that through music. So that's praise. And as you engage in this, I want to encourage you, remember, all language around the divine is metaphor because the divine is mystery. And so we've created powerful metaphors that make it real. Listen, and if you hear me say the word metaphor, please don't put the word just in front of it. It's not just a metaphor. Metaphors form what are the most real things in our lives. Think of it this way. Caesar was called son of God. It's a metaphor for how powerful Caesar was. If you don't think that's real, get in your time machine Go back before Caesar and tell him, you're not the son of God. I don't take that literally. It's just a metaphor. Try it and see what happens. You're going to have a nice visit in the gladiatorial games probably because it's very, very real. Might not be literal, but it's real. And so we have to remember that, that praise is user-friendly that they are metaphors that teach us and help us understand the reality of love in this life, the reality of, of inclusion, the reality of hope, the reality of healing that takes place through this great mystery that we call God. One of the best, beautiful, amazing examples of this idea of metaphor is found where the psalmist says something. The psalmist describes the power, the energy that's found when people sing praise. And this is how the psalmist would, would say it. The psalmist would say, God inhabits the praises of his people. Now, I don't take that literally, but I believe it to speak to a deep truth that when we praise, when we lift our voices in song, something powerful happens that wouldn't happen otherwise. And in antiquity, the psalmist would say, our God inhabits the praises of his people because there was that reality to that moment. And what a beautiful metaphor that is. And so do I believe it deeply? Yes that God inhabits the praises of the people. And that is powerful. And it's a metaphor that describes the spiritual experience that's available to everyone when we sing about love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. It's a metaphor about singing honestly about our pain, singing honestly about our hurt and our disappointment. It, it's, it's a metaphor about singing hopefully, singing with hope in our hearts that God is present and redeeming our pain and our sorrow and our difficulties. And you know what's beautiful about this whole thing, right? Is, is that like you can experience the benefits of praise through osmosis. Because sometimes in our lives, we lack the, we lack the energy, we lack the faith, we lack the hope, we lack the love to sing ourselves. 
because we've walked through life. And we've walked through life and we've experienced the disappointment. But when you gather in a group like this, with thousands and thousands of people in the room, in case you're listening to the podcast, People can sing for us. People can have the faith for us. And that's a part of a community. And so when we talk about singing, guess what? You don't have to come in here every week and if you don't feel like it, sing, you know? There's a benefit to it. I really do believe that there's something powerful when we work past that. But if you don't have it in you, you don't have it in you. But let the people around you sing for you and pray for you. That's the beauty of community. That's how in my lack of belief. Other people help my belief. It's a very tangible way. And when we engage in this, when we as a community of faith kind of stick to our guns, right? When we say singing is going to be a part of it, our spiritual ancestors taught us this. We recognize it as we grow and evolve in our way of thinking about God and what's literal and what is it. But when we stick to the reality of the truth of this powerful practice, singing does some very powerful things. First of all, singing praise, it gives our soul words for the mystery of faith. And so we engage in it and we sing. Singing praise gives our soul hope in the reality of our pain. That we walk in and we go through life and we have pain, but singing can produce a hope that goes beyond that experience. And I think that singing praise, it gives our soul love when we feel unlovable. That there is a truth that many of us have grown up in, in a family environment where it was supposed to be safe that was supposed to ground us in what unconditional love looks like, but that wasn't there. And so there's this nagging fear that I'm just not lovable. But singing about love, singing about God's love, singing about love in general, it stirs in us something that I can be, that overwhelms that. And Paul says what? These three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And I think when we lift our voices, when we sing songs about God, and when we sing songs to God, you find that popular song that's out there that you love, your favorite T-Swift song. Shout out to T-Swift in Denver. And, and there's something about that song that resonates and speaks a truth to you. Man, sing a Taylor Swift song to God. Do it. Have an audience of one. I love that old song, an audience of one. We think, oh, singing God, we got to sing praise to God. It means we got to tell God how good God is as if God has a, a serious psychological problem. God's therapist hasn't been around for a while, and so just God needs billions of people on the planet to tell God how amazing God is. No, no, no. All spiritual practices are for our soul care, our benefit. They're meant to transform us into more loving and grace-filled people and hope-filled people. So as we get ready to head into some singing, what's God inviting you into today? Well, I hope it's to sing. <laughs> I hope that one's kind of like a duh, you know, okay, yeah, all right, I'll, just, I'll, I'll like appease him this one week, I'll sing, right, to lift your voice a little bit. Maybe God's inviting you to make a playlist of songs that encourage you, songs that you can sing along with throughout the week. And again, I'm not talking about contemporary Christian music, although some of it is fine, go for it, but just music that, that speaks to your soul. I, I just don't live in this sacred secular divide. Like the music that speaks to your soul, that you can sing out and know that like there's just something divine about that moment, that God's at work. And then just to like, maybe beyond today, find the courage to join in the singing when you're at church and you feel so inclined. 
Let some of those endorphins be released the way God created you that can help overwhelm the discomfort and the pains of life. So I'm going to invite you to stand. Here's how it's going to go for those of you that are really nervous. We're going to sing two songs. Then I'm going to come out and uh, pray for us. And then we're going to receive our connect cards and our giving envelopes and our donations and everything. We're going to do that during the last song, which is really fast, has the word dance in it. Let's not go crazy. One thing at a time. All right. One thing at a time. Right? Beautiful metaphor about the very life and breath that we have is because of Jesus. They're metaphors, right? So we're going to sing together. Close your eyes if you know the words. Sing along and just see if maybe you experience the divine, right? Experience the hope that's found in a life that's intent on being vital and having spiritual vitality. And this is a part of that. I'll be back out in a few minutes. <laughs>